Hello, stoned apes and others who are curious about the healing powers of psychedelic medicines. Welcome to the Stoned Ape Reports. I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I talk to another stoned ape, somebody who has experienced the transformational powers of psychedelics, or with a practitioner who works with these medicines. In this episode, I was able to speak to three such people who battled addiction with plant medicine in conjunction with traditional methods like the 12-step programs. They went on to help others do the same. So please enjoy these powerful stories of recovery with Brian from Medicine Box and Joe and David from Inscape Recovery. Really appreciate you guys uh, joining me here on the Stone Ape Reports. Um, as you know, David was a, a previous guest of the show brought to us by Kim Adams at uh, Lit Marketing and Media, L-Y-T Marketing and Media, and uh, thought it'd be a great idea to bring Brian in and Joe in and talk about all of your experiences with, you know, your transformations with plant medicines, and also the great things you guys are doing today to help other people. So I'm excited to hear your guys' stories. Um, so why don't we just jump in here and, and Brian, you know, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about your recovery story and, and what, you know, how you worked with the plant medicines and then what you're doing today. Awesome. Uh, thanks for the, the intro there, Stuart, and I'm happy to be here today. Yeah. Uh, Brian Martello Chaplin, um, reporting here from North Lake Tahoe, California. And nice. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, a, it, it's been a long journey and, uh, I just, thinking about, you know, addiction and, and alcoholism, um, and then how in the current state of affairs that our country is seeing right now with COVID-19 and protests and riots and Black Lives Matter, um, did some deep diving on, you know, addiction and addiction doesn't discriminate against anybody, whether you're white, black, male, female, young, old. Um, it's just one of those things that, uh, humans don't, um, once they get that addictive behavior going, or if they have the gene, it, um, kind of makes the choices for us. And that happened to me when I was 14 years old. Uh, I took my first drink, um, of alcohol and one was, too many, 20 was not enough, as they say. Mm. And uh, I blacked out the first time I drank and woke up the next morning in my bed at home and my had to go to church the next day for Easter Sunday wow. and uh, was a complete embarrassment for my mother, you know, um, who was a very stoic Catholic at the time. And I didn't realize that, you know, I was permeating booze out of my pores and I got home, went straight to bed, and my dad said, I hope you don't have the gene and hope you don't do that again, Bri. And that's what that feeling is what I seeked for the next 18 years of my life. Um, wow. And I didn't see any consequences of, of blacking out or causing ruckus and drama. Uh, I was a, I excelled in school. I was an athlete. I was the captain of my track team. I played in a a band in high school. I was in the top 10% of my class. I was early accepted with scholarships and financial aid to the university of Vermont. So, you know, wow. Is that what they you, call a functioning alcoholic? I think that's what I've heard. Uh, 
and but I never thought it that way. I just thought it was the the way people lived. And yeah. I wasn't dealing with any like real, real catastrophic consequences like jail and, mm-hmm. you know, institutions or, you know, a broken home. You know, my parents are still together 41 years this August. And, wow. um, you know, a, a younger sister and, uh, you know, addiction and alcoholism is a evolving um you know uh, behavior and it progresses and when i got into college it was all about you know party 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 arranging your schedule or your school schedule around partying discovered cocaine when i was 21 and uh that was the remedy that i've been looking for all my life with Mm. uh you know uh, adhd you know i had when I was eight years old in the eighties, I was, you know, defined as one of those kids that had ADHD or minimal brain disorder as they called it at that time. And thank God to my mom, love you, mom. She did not prescribe me Ritalin or Adderall. All the doctors and teachers wanted me to be on Ritalin and Adderall. And she was uh, savvy enough to know that that's probably not a good drug to, uh, you know, give a eight year old kid. And, but, but at that point I didn't have any other, um, techniques to deal with the restlessness and irritableness and, and things that were going on within me. So I was just constantly acted out, found alcohol, then found cocaine. And I was like, Oh, here's my, here's my medication. Of course, I didn't see that at the time when I was 20, 21 years old in college reflecting back through recovery uh 20 years later i was able i'm able to see you know how that took hold of me and i became um you know a slave to uh, the drugs making the choices for me in a form of self-medication and Hmm. i was self you know i thought i was having a good time which i was uh, but it was also a form of self medication and in my process of recovery i have been able to look at that from a place of observation um, and discover this newfound freedom that uh, recovery has given me as when i have put the plug in the jug put the drugs down put the alcohol down uh, eight years ago almost eight years ago this september Hmm. um, that is becoming sober but then you have to recover from all the bullshit and the wreckage and the craziness and the mm. uneasiness and the uh, traumatic occurrences and that have calcified over your life the whole time for why I did drugs and used alcohol in the first place when it became such a habitual part of my life. And I went through the 12 step program and starting in 2012 when I just you know, had enough, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and had enough clarity to be able to, um, walk down the street to my neighbor's house who told me he didn't drink alcohol when I first met him. And I thought he was fucking crazy. Who doesn't mm. drink alcohol? Right. I had enough clarity after a three day bender to walk my ass next door and knock on his door and say, I need help. And wow. he 12 stepped me 
two days later, I was at an AA meeting, uh, went 25 days sober, thought it was a big shot, uh, went to Burning Man. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I'll go to Burning Man. You know, I've been there for seven years in a row, completely relapsed and was like, whoa, this is uh, why I can't do this and jumped back into recovery, uh, asked him to be my sponsor, worked the 12-step program, uh, went to the suggested 90 meetings in 90 days and was like, okay, now I get it, right? Now I get it. And uh, stumbled around for the next three years in sobriety. Um, you know, I wasn't quite working the diligent, you know, spiritual program that I work now. But through that process is when I became more interested in uh, plant medicine. Um, I was an underground cannabis cultivator this whole mm. time. I didn't see, I was working with the plant but didn't see the intrinsic powers of the plant until uh, I had to journey through about three to four years in my recovery process. Um, I have a debt of gratitude to Pfizer who um, <laughs> makes that great old SSRI Prozac. And at the time, four years in, my physician prescribed me Prozac uh, for the high highs and low lows, I was still experiencing in sobriety from the years of uh, abuse with alcohol as a depressant and cocaine mm. as a stimulant. And uh, my nervous system was just completely out of homeostasis. And uh, Western medicine, they like to just, you know, prescribe Prozac and benzos and things like that. Uh, and I didn't really yeah. know any, I didn't know any better. Uh, I took Prozac for about two years and absolutely hated it and started researching what Prozac is and what it does to the body and how it works in the brain. Started looking at how cannabis can do the same exact thing and other herbs like skullcap and flarian and lemon balm and catnip and B6 and tryptophan and how all that helps balance the nervous system and convert your uh, tryptophan into serotonin, which Prozac tries to do, but Prozac just works with uh, this. If you have three lonely molecules of serotonin in your brain, an SSRI, which is a selective serotonin re reuptake inhibitor, uh, acts like a set of jumper cables on those serotonin molecules. So it's overloading the system it keeps shocking the same three molecules of serotonin instead of building serotonin in your brain hmm. so instead of just replacing the spark plug so i decided i need to replace the spark plug and i had a mentor at the time who was really deep into plant medicine michael hollister god rest his soul he passed away two years ago this coming hmm. full moon um dedicate this this talk to him because solstice was his favorite time of year and that's mm -hmm. on this weekend. So thank you guys for being here. Um, and he said, we're going to get you off of Prozac and this is how we're going to do it. And we started making medicine and he taught me about cannabinoid combinations and cannabis and how those synergize with other plant compounds from other synergistic herbs and, and botanicals and terpene profiles. And I had no idea 
um, about that at the time. There's a lot of lip service that cannabis is medicine, and I was just growing pounds of ganja. Mm -hmm. So we worked together, and he uh, helped me titrate off a Prozac with the medicine we made. Uh, That medicine um, is called equanimity. It's in the form of a sublingual tincture. It got runner-up at the Emerald Cup, uh, which is the longest and largest standing cannabis competition in the world. Um, That helped me get off Prozac. I used it to help others get off of Xanax and um, Ativan and Zoloft. I am not a doctor. I just use the same steps combined with meditation and a Qigong practice and getting in nature. And now uh, I'm dedicated to being of service to others with that similar program, um, but also keeping my biological, emotional, mental, and spiritual health maintained by using that same sublingual formulation for my own health and happiness and very grounded in my non-negotiable meditation practice. I've combined the both now using that sublingual tincture to drop into some deep meditations. Um, Hmm. That has also transcended into uh, using psilocybin on, you know, a micro dose, you know, at least, at least once a week, I do a nice micro to medium dose of psilocybin usually on the weekends as a, a nice reset to the, to the week. Um, you know, building a, building a startup venture is uh, no rest for the weary. So I like to think of taking a little psilocybin on the weekends as cleaning up the cobwebs from the week and a reset for, for the week to come. And, that was the evolution of recovery. And, um, you know, when you start, when you go in to recovery, you're just, you're just a lost soul. You, you know, you can't keep on living the way you're living, but you have no idea how you're going to make a step forward on how to live without taking the first step. Hmm. So, you know, Lao Zhao says, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And mm-hmm. as long as you take the first step, you put one foot in front of the other and it's painful as fuck and it's scary as fuck, but you just keep doing it and you keep doing it. And I know the guys that are listening, waiting to talk can attest to the same thing. And as I've evolved in recovery, I've opened my mind to other modalities of recovery. I went into the 12 step program. All drugs are bad. Um, However, they don't really teach you, how to rebalance your nervous system. And I'll finish off by saying really what, really what um, maybe it's the not the nonconformist, nonconforming addict in me, or just the curious mind that I have. And, and just, I've always kind of lived off the, the beaten path and marched to my own, drum was why does Johnny and Sally in my recovery program get to talk openly and they take Wellbutrin, Xanax, opiates, SSRIs, but cannabis 
and psilocybin is still considered a drug. And that is really what got me to start questioning, like, well, these are legal drugs, but that's big pharma and big gov telling us they're legal. But there's a plant that has been so demonized for centuries in our world and created this whole war on drugs. And I don't want to go on a tangent there, but that is really what um, I, I got really curious about that. Like, why is that okay? And this is not. And I decided to really dive in and create, that's what, how I created medicine box was just that kind of like thesis question. And we like to design products and messaging that, uh, you know, gets into the heart and soul of people to create, sovereignty in their own health and happiness and that's what i strive to live for every day and um i like to connect with people like you all to that i know strive to live for that every day because we've come from we've come from the the depths of hell and we've we've seen the light and it has taken us a long time to get here and I never, ever, 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 ever want to go back to those places that I was in and maintaining my recovery every single day for myself, but being of service to others uh, is just as important um, to, up to uh, upholding my recovery process. So, yeah, that's huge. So you, you obviously don't want to go back to that, but that's one of the big things it seems with recovery is the cravings as you think the plant medicines have helped. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I actually said that today in my 12 step meeting, you know, uh, I don't have the cravings anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually, I, I like to use a little bit of like reverse psychology in myself. I say, I love cocaine and tequila, just like I love, many of my ex-girlfriends, but that doesn't mean I have to be with them anymore. I can let them go and release them and, mm. and, sur and surrender and accept that that just doesn't work for me in my life. And that's how I'm able to maintain that. Um, I, early on, I had the cravings and that was something I needed to absolve. And now it's just, I'm scared of a hangover. You know, I, mm. it just doesn't appeal to me and uh, I'm absolutely scared to death of looking like thinking of a drink or snorting a line. And that keeps me, that keeps me sane and sober. And I have plenty of drinking dreams and that's a, that's a big occurrence for, for people in recovery as we have these drinking dreams or, you're late to class, you know, it's a yeah. similar, similar dream, but really, um, yeah. Um, Interesting. yeah, nature, you know, nature is what I crave. I don't crave drugs or alcohol anymore. Nice. Um, and that's what I crave. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome, Brian. Congratulations and great work. Um, you mentioned you went to this 12 step today and mm -hmm. talked about some things. Do you talk about, I mean, they must know what you do. Uh, what is their attitude toward? Well, that's a very good question. And, you know, I always like to answer that one with, 
you know, it's, a, it's anonymous and, and the 12 steps, the only, I was like, the only requirement is the desire to stop drinking and using. That's mm-hmm. the only requirement for membership. And I also like to fall back on uh, Bill W., the founder, founded AA mm-hmm. in 1935. In 1957, uh, he took LSD um, in a clinical setting because he wanted people, he, he was so passionate about getting people sober and the recovery process that he wanted people to have the spiritual awakening that he did. But a lot of people that come into recovery, they put the plug in the jug, but they cannot get that spiritual awakening or that ego mm. dissolution or that ego death. So when he took LSD in a clinical setting, he was onto something for the people that weren't able to just um, have that awakening through complete abstinence. And that happens, but this was a different era. This was 1957. (laughs) Yeah. And and people put a stop to that, but that is a true, true story. And I believe we're seeing, you know, the resurgence of plant medicine, whether it's psilocybin, ayahuasca, ibogaine, peyote, and even LSD right now, that in the next five years, we're going to see some mega mainstream uh, clinical treatment and therapeutics with these uh, plant-based therapeutics and LSD because because of that. Yeah. And so the 12 steps for me is where my anchor is. I'm anchored in that community. It's about being of service to that community. It's about suiting up and showing up uh, as I I chair a meeting. And uh, that's really important to me. But I'm also, you know, reaching out to other ways of of healing. And uh, there's no judgment there. And we don't talk about that, you know, in, in meetings. We talk about, you know, staying sober and being sober and how to help other people achieve sobriety within the parameters of the 12 steps. Now outside of those rooms, there's plenty of people that remain anonymous that I speak openly about with plant medicine. Hmm. And, and, and that's okay because the only requirement is a desire to stop drinking and that's it. Yeah. That's or the beautiful thing. Yeah, I've been or stop doing whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in ceremonies with people and it's always made me wonder. They'll say, they'll say I've been, you know, clean for 30 years. You know, I had addiction to opiates and, and I always thought, you know, I wonder how the programs react to the fact that you're sitting here in ceremony. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know in my heart is probably a great big help, but I always wondered what the, yeah. what the programs thought. Yeah. And that's back to that little, flick of curiosity that I had that same thing, you know, was when sitting in a meeting and seeing, you know, Johnny um, talk about relapsing after 10 years of sobriety because he was taking Oxycontin uh, from a car accident he got into John, yeah. Johnny's Johnny's a made up name, but that's a true story. Mm-hmm. Ten, 10 years of sobriety went out the window because he used to take opiates. He used to shoot heroin and then, he got injured and then 
like within 90 days, a glass of vodka sounded good to him mm. with an opiate and an oxy and off he went. Now that's mm. that fine line right there, you know? And, and I think that's what a lot of the work that we're, we're doing that the, the group that's on this podcast is, is really dismantling the way we look at rehab, the way we look at recovery and the way we stigmatize addiction and, and look down at addiction. And while we're also simultaneously bringing this resurgence of, of plant medicine into the mainstream. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we've got some more questions, but I want to let uh, David and Joe chime in here. So thank Absolutely. you, Brian, for that. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And uh, yeah, congratulations to you for a Thanks. lot of stuff you've been doing here. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, David, David returns. David, for those of you who have listened to these, he was on an episode three or four episodes ago. So David, uh, welcome back. Good to hear your voice again. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for putting this together, Stuart. Yeah. Well, it's actually Kim, Kim brought us yeah, all together, yeah. but I, I am more than happy to facilitate. Yes. But, facilitate uh, is what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so why don't you uh, share your story again? What's, what's your story for those that may not have heard it already? You know, tell us about what, what you've been dealing with and how plant medicines. I know you've got a slightly different plant that you worked with, and, and now you're also doing some great things to help other people. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I kind of gave a, a detailed account of my story, but um, listening to our, our podcast that we did before, I, I kind of recognized that some of the timing on, in my story was not clear. So, um, you know, basically I, I, I was uh, not introduced to uh, drugs and alcohol until my late teen years. I was, you know, a, a ultra student in high school. I mean, I dealt, was dealing with a lot of different family trauma and stuff like that, but hmm. essentially found my, my escape and my, my joy in my schoolwork and being a, you know, super student and, you know, doing all the, the school activities and getting myself into a, a high caliber college and all that. Um, but it, it kind of all came apart for me when I was a senior in high school where I, I mean, I had been having pretty serious anxiety attacks. Um, and basically what happened is I just had like, I guess what you'd call a, a nervous breakdown where I just was not, um, you know, I, I had so such a high level of anxiety and, and panic attacks that I basically mm. wasn't able to go to school and, you know, went through a whole battery of tests. And, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. And then, you know, finally was admitted into a, essentially an adolescent psych ward or psych, psychiatric care facility. Um, and basically it was there that I was introduced to uh, pharmaceutical benzodiazepines. And, you know, for me, having been you know, this kid that just carried all of this anxiety and fear all this time to have this pill given to me that, you know, I took it and 30 minutes later, I felt it all melt away. It was like, man, I've found the answer to life. And, mm -hmm. you know, essentially that, that was the, the trigger point for, you know, what, what became a multi-decade um, substance abuse and addiction problem that spanned, basically every drug class that uh, you can imagine. I mean, I, I, 
you know, settled into opiates and alcohol uh, after my college. I mean, I was very much alcoholic and, you know, using stimulants and things um, here and there through my college years, but it wasn't until after I finished uh, college that I really found uh, the combination of benzodiazepines and opiates and just found this really this escape from life. Um, and, you know, this, this went on successfully for, uh, for me a short period of time, actually, it was kind of like I was just really finding my stride as a, a you know, a, you know, we'll say a, a middle of the path addict, you know, midway in your, into your addiction career where I started to have some problems. And, you know, my first treatment interventions were uh, strictly forced treatment interventions where I, I had no interest in getting clean and sober at that time. I was a young guy and realistically I used those treatment opportunities as a way to extend my drug connections um, because mm. As is the case with a lot of treatment facilities, there's, you know, a, a certain percentage of people that are there uh, that really want to get well. Some people who kind of are on the border where they have a serious enough consequence where getting well is probably a good idea. And then people that are forced to be there where, you know, basically we're just trying to get through that day of meetings or whatever so we can go and get high afterwards. Um, and, and so that's build, kinda, build your supply network. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I did. I mean, in fact, the first treatment facility I went into, I, you know, I had a real hardcore Vicodin addiction. I think I was maybe taking like 20 milligrams of hydrocodone a day. And when I left that treatment, I was actually now able to get 80 milligram Oxycontin. So it, it helped mm. me to escalate my, my using. But interestingly enough, as what I've found over the years is that my um, recovery process has been an evolution. And even in that, um, you know, early stage of not really caring, not, you know, listening and participating, because of course, I wanted to please the group facilitators and look like I was doing the right things. But, mm -hmm. you know, some things actually kind of stuck. And, you know, when I came to treatment number three and four, now when I'm in my, my early 30s, um, you know, where I was starting to have serious consequences, legal consequences, homelessness, dissolution of, you know, r relationships, family relationships, uh, unemployability, and just catastrophic unmanageability. Um, you know, I started to take uh, the idea that, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not everyone else that has a problem, but maybe the problem is with the way you're living and, and the, the choices that you're making. Um, you know, and so I, I think that was in the early 2000s was one of my last 12-step facilitated treatment encounters where, you know, I, I, I did the best I could at that time. Ultimately, I decided I'd rather be on methadone than, you know, listen to any more uh, AA preamble and, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And that, that's what I did. Uh, got myself into more trouble. Um, and, and finally went back to, uh, a 12 step facilitated treatment about a year later, like very much broken, very humble with the mindset of, all right, clearly my way is not working. I'm going to try something different. 
And that, that's exactly what I did. I did everything that was suggested, including quitting the job that I had at the time, getting rid of the apartment, moving into a, a residential treatment facility, staying there for you know, several longer term uh, transitional things, you know, meeting, going to meetings uh, basically daily. I mean, that really, that was kind of what we were taught to do is go to meetings and, yeah. and get a sponsor, get involved in, in any service or AA service. And I, I, I did all of that. And, you know, basically what happened is about a year later, it was like, holy cats, like things are really starting to get better. And like, I'm like socially acceptable again. And my parents like me and will invite me over to their house. They don't think I'm going to steal from them. And, mm. you know, basically these like kind of basic building blocks of life, like this, you know, social acceptability and having a job and, you know, these basic things like those, those came back to me, you know, really quickly within that first year of recovery. And the bottom line is, is I, I really enjoyed myself. Um, I felt a million times better being off of all drugs. I, you know, of course, when I first entered treatment, they wanted me to see a psychiatrist. Well, you probably need this medication. I said, no, I, I'm not taking anything. I, I want to see what happens. And, you know, if six months from now, if I'm maybe still off, then we'll try something. So, you know, it was the first time, you know, since I was a teenager that I had been clean and sober and not taking any other medications. And things, you know, started to go really well for me. I, I got married, I had a kid, I got involved in a, a business that, um, you know, now is a, a reasonably successful thing for me that I do here in the Midwest. And all of these material things and you know, enjoyable moments in life came together. Um, the problem that I had is that even though I was doing actual 12-step work with a sponsor, and I did a very thorough, um, at the time, fourth step, and really kind of saw a lot of my behavior patterns, there was this disconnect between acknowledging these things and these traumas and finding some way to resolve them. And I, I think that that is where, for me, the disconnect between, all right, you know, I'm doing all of this stuff and I can pat myself on the back because I went to this meeting and I talked to my sponsor and, you know, I'm clean for today. But the bottom line is, is there was all of this wreckage underneath that, and I, I'm not going to put blame on anything. The bottom line is, is I just wasn't able to address that through the tools that I had at that time. And ultimately, after several years, uh, the panic attacks started to come back. Um, I actually was involved in a, a fairly serious ATV accident when I was a teenager where, you know, I had some serious head trauma and uh, a lot of like neck spinal damage from, from the, the accident. And um, I started to have a lot of chronic pain from that. And, you know, as time went on, while well, I'm still going to meetings and I'm doing everything I can and like this pain is just getting unbearable. So I, you know, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to a doctor. I'm going to be honest with them about my recovery and, you know, basically started off with very, uh, we'll say, uh, non-risky pharmaceutical interventions with, you know, like prescription strength, ibuprofen, and uh, methcarbamol, which is a muscle relaxer that really doesn't have a lot of addiction potential. And 
Mm. All right, well, that isn't working. And so maybe let's try tramadol. And I mean, eventually what happened is I got myself um, with the support of, of the doctor that I was working with and my immediate peer group uh, in, in recovery programs, essentially back hooked into opiates and hooked into benzos. Mm. Um, and I, coincidentally enough, I did really well with that for about a year where I, you know, I didn't keep the, the narcotic medications myself. I had them dispensed to me so that I couldn't take more. You know, I, I kind of was like, yeah, like I've got this, like I can take these medications and still be in recovery. Like this is great. Well, uh, I mean, basically a, a, a major life trauma, um, you know, happened after this had gone on for about a year. Um, and I'm not going to get into that, it's, you know, super personal stuff, but it was the kind of thing where it was life altering. Mm. And, you know, basically as soon as that kind of hit me and, already having those drugs in my system, the, the fuck it. And I, I apologize, but that's, that's kind of it. Yeah, it's just no. a fuck it mentality. Like yeah. who, who wouldn't use in these circumstances? Right. And, you know, I had these high powered uh, opiate prescription pills. And I mean, I'm smart enough to know with that particular drug, the, the bioavailability is much better if it's used intranasal or injected than it is if you take them correctly. And, you know, it, it was literally uh, within two days that I was, you know, off to the races, you know, taking the medication at whatever dose I basically, like Brian said, self-medicating Yeah. Uh, with no real oversight of, of, you know, what was going on. And, you know, of course I was able to string this out for maybe a, a few more months before it was like, I got my prescriptions filled and they were gone after a week. And it's like, well, and I, I think what had happened is with all of the recovery that I already had in me, there was kind of this wall I hit where I knew what the next step was. It's like, all right, I'm at this wall where I can either go to the street and start buying heroin and, and that kind of thing, or I can kind of go in the other direction. Now, unfortunately, the other direction that I chose at that time was to uh, be put on uh, buprenorphine or Suboxone. Um, which we won't get into what that's all about. There's tons of information out there. Uh, but basically for me, really what it became was an extended uh, prison sentence, really, because, you know, you're, you're dependent on the Suboxone to keep you from feeling the opiate withdrawal symptoms. But for me, what happened is the longer I stayed on Suboxone, the more engrossed and enveloped I got into my old addictive behaviors were now all of a sudden things and you know drinking all of a sudden and excessive drinking which you know for me all of uh, all of those we'll say conscious contracting drugs alcohol benzos opiates um, you know stimulants they they all kind of put me in a certain space but alcohol was always kind of the like final round in the chamber, which I mean, most of my serious consequences came when alcohol became involved. So it was like I started pulling all these old uh, things back in and it just got to a point where I, I, it wasn't that I had a serious consequence where it was like, all right, I have to stop. It just got to where I just, it was I didn't really want to continue to go on. And I actually made a, you know, a, a 
fairly serious suicide attempt on my own life um, mm-hmm. towards the end there. Um, and, you know, basically kind of started to get this, and it's weird to even think that I had this capacity in this state, but, you know, towards the very end where I started to make some decisions towards a, a solution, just started to get this feeling like, you know, if I, if I can't get off of all these prescriptions and things that I'm dependent on, like there's going to come a time where that's going to put me in a really, really bad spot um, to deal mm. with, with the world around me. Um, and whatever, we won't dive into that wormhole, but let's just say that for some reason, that idea of um, basically being like low hanging fruit when shit hits the fan. Um, because if you're addicted to all these medications that if you don't have them, you're in, you know, serious physical and mental withdrawal. You can't really defend yourself. You can't defend your family. You can't make rational choices, etc. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't like there was this big, um, you know, catastrophic thing. It was just like all of a sudden my awareness mysteriously shifted and what was also mysterious is that in that awareness shift that this idea of i'm going to take ibogaine to um you know to help get myself out of the situation came into my field of awareness um and you know basically to you know i i looked into ibogaine you know read some of the the actual publicized research that was out there on its effectiveness as an opiate detoxification and basically looked at it like, sweet, I can go to Mexico, be gone for a week, you know, put, put somebody else in charge at, at the, the shop here in the Midwest to run things and be gone for a week, come back in a week, I'll be off Suboxone and I'll feel better. And, and you know, for me, that's, that's it that's not what happened. So I, I mean, I, I went to Mexico, um, took, took Ibogaine and it basically opened a, a, a completely different process where I ended up staying in Mexico for another two months at an aftercare facility where I worked with additional plants and, uh, you know, psychotherapeutic techniques and really intentional, uh, intentional medicine use or, Mm-hmm. intentional drug use, I, I guess, would be, you know, how the the 12-step community might look at this. Um, and, and found uh, just a very, found myself in a very different place when I was getting ready to come home, where it was like, you know, I feel like with everything that I've experienced, like I have what I need as long as I continue to choose it to really move forward this time. Um, and, and that, that's basically, you know, what the last three and a half years have been is, um, you know, just moving forward. Um, not, you know, for me, I don't really have cravings for those kinds of drugs because I simply don't want to contract my, my state of consciousness. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have any alignment to those things anymore, at least so far, which is really weird because, even when I was four and a half years clean before of all of this, like I still, you know, at least once a day, like, Oh yeah. You know, this new, uh, new Cinta, this new narcotic that came out. I wonder what that's like. I, maybe I'd like to try, you know, like those kinds of things that a lot of addicts deal with, even with 
some length of clean time where there's always like this little tinge in the back of your brain, like trying to trigger you into to justifying a use. And I mean, that's one thing for me that's just been really strange is it's almost like I, I changed my timeline or something because, you know, and I'm not going to say that I'm not an addict. I know 100% if somebody put a line of heroin in front of me and I chose to put that in my body, it's very, very likely that I would regress very quickly back to where I was. Mm. But I think the thing that's different for me is like, I don't even care about that. Like, I, I just don't simply don't want it. Like, I'm not aligned to that anymore. Uh, I'm looking for things in a, a completely opposite direction of more uh, being consciously open and more importantly being grounded and present and being able to hold a space of objectivity in my conscious waking state which you can't do that when you're loaded up on benzos opiates alcohol etc yeah so you had this awareness shift that brought you to ibogaine you ended up doing the ibogaine detox and out of that your original plan was to go home, but then you realized you weren't ready to go home. And so you went through a couple of months of aftercare, including other medicines. And now, now you're in this situation where your mind sounds like it really has shifted. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel that. Um, and more than just, I mean, feeling it is important, but I, also seeing it manifest in my, my day-to-day existence. And then, seeing that mirrored back from my peers and my wife and the people that work for me and all of that, where it's like the, the change is tangible because I can see it on their face where they're looking at me like, who, yeah, what's up with this dude? Like, <laughs> this is not the same guy that, you know, we dealt with three years ago. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's a cool, cool process. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome, David. Thanks again for coming in and sharing that. We've, uh, like I said, with Brian, we'll uh, we'll ask some more questions. But uh, again, congratulations and real happy for you. And thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Joe, you're up. You still with us? You awake? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, yeah. So tell us uh, what's uh, what's your story. Well, um, I mean, just to give you the shortest version, like these guys, I um, took a lot of drugs. Starting at a young age, I really liked drugs. And yeah. I took many, many drugs. And around age, at some point in my 20s, um, I really discovered opiates, which were, as they say in recovery circles, clearly my drug of choice. I mean, it was just the thing that I felt, really fell in love with. And so from there started my, I guess, rocky descent into an increasingly chronic addiction. Mm. Um, I went to rehab. When I came to Mexico to receive Ibogaine and, and Ibogaine aftercare, that was my sixth attempt at treatment. So I'd gone to five rehabs in the United States before then. I went to jail multiple times, ended up on the street, addicted to heroin, all of this, so. And that was five tra- like traditional programs. Yeah, before- five, what you would call traditional. I mean, okay. they, they each have their differences, but yeah. But for the most part, you could say they're, they're traditional rehabs as compared with what I experienced in Mexico. Right, okay. Um, 
So I was addicted on and off for almost 11 years. Um, during that time, I, you know, availed myself of different modality, modalities, including, like I said, treatments, um, including 12-step groups, which certainly helped me to a certain point ultimately, but which um, wasn't the thing that put me over the top. And, and neither was it something that I had the patience to really immerse myself in the way Brian described himself doing. It would mm -hmm. be something that like I would do a lot, like a lot of endeavors in my life sort of half-heartedly. And then before I had a chance to really go deep into the process, I would fall out and, and relapse back into drugs. And so I think like I really needed a, a quick and powerful catalyst to sort of catapult me out of this where I was stuck. Yeah. So that, that for me is where the, the plant medicines came in. I mean, like a lot of people, you know, I haven't used plant medicines exclusively in my recovery. They didn't like make me suddenly enlightened or anything like this, but they did provide enough of a, a mental change and a sense of possibility and astonishment that they catalyzed me out of this stuck space that I was in and gave me the room to explore and grow and develop curiosity and start to enjoy my life. And that was something that I'd been missing for a long time when, when drugs were absent. And even with the drugs, you know, like people say, in the beginning, they're, they're good and they might even be a boon to your life, but eventually they kind of turn, turn against you. And, and that was what was starting to happen. So like Brian, I didn't, I didn't know that I had any options. I'd heard for a long time about Ibogaine and Finally, things aligned to where I was able to come down here and take it. And in between the Ibogaine and, and the aftercare, the ayahuasca and other therapeutic modalities. Um, yeah, like I said, up until now, I now have a little over four years clean. Nice. Uh, which is for me is like, yeah, and, and for, by the way, for me, that's like by far a world record. I mean, I think my previous record was almost seven months and a lot of that time was spent in rehab. So. Wow. So before that, seven months was the longest, and now your every day is a new record, and you're over four years. Yeah, yeah. I continue to set new personal record. Nice. Congratulations. Um, yeah. But like David, you know, I say until now, I mean, I understand that the risk is still there. Um, I wouldn't say that my addiction has vanished on the level that maybe maybe David – I wouldn't say David's vanished. I don't know how he – but he kind of described it as he's – I think on some level – he's transcended that pull. Whereas like, I still feel the existence of that addiction, but I also feel so many good, positive, and um, I've, I've just built things around it to where it doesn't overwhelm me the way that it used to, and nor does it exist within me in a single-minded way. It's like one piece that I built a larger tapestry around. Yeah. Well, good, excellent. Any uh, any part of the program that you want to share? Yeah, well, I came after after using taking ibogaine, and um, first of all, like I wanted to take ibogaine for a long time and been bugging my my family about it. And finally, and my family is hey, uh, very supportive to me. If somebody's like uh, doing the wash, there, can we take a break on uh, that? Yeah, here, let me. <laughs> oh, is that you, Joe? On this. It's it's not me, but it's it. Well, it's not me personally, but yeah, it's where I am. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry about that. So, yeah, keep going. Don't worry about cool. it. No, it's cool. No, that's that's legitimate. That's happening. So I'm relocated. Wait. 
Yeah, where I am in where I'm in Mexico, the infrastructure is pretty good here, but it's not a you know like oh. always dependable like in the United States. And so I'm sharing the space here where we have decent connection, but um, now I've relocated to. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, that was private uh, that quarters. Was Mexican ambiance. That. Uh, so that, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Just a. Just to add a little cultural flavor to this yeah, discussion. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so let's see, where was I? Um, well, what did you ask me about? Um, Just is there anything uh, about, yeah, about your experiences? You know, you mentioned ayahuasca, the aftercare. If there's anything specific, you know, there that you wanted to share? Sure. Um, well, like I said, I've been, I've been wanting to do Ibogaine for a long time and and, and my parents had always been supportive of my addiction. They were reluctant to have me do Ibogaine because it seemed like a radical thing and also like a shortcut to them that I was just using to escape my predicament but not really want to work on myself. Yeah. But finally, they got de they got desperate enough to support my trip here, um, which I, I was lucky to have 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 their support. And um, but my mom was like, like, like Brian said his, about his mom being savvy. My mom was savvy in that she agreed to send me to take Ibogaine, but only under the condition that I go to aftercare afterwards, obviously. Hmm. So like I had the idea that it was kind of like take Ibogaine and be done. And my mom was a little bit wary of that. And she was right to be because Ibogaine isn't, obviously it's an amazing plant, but it's not a panacea as they say about right. all of these plant medicines. And so I took Ibogaine, came to aftercare, and the Ibogaine really didn't work that well for me immediately. It did help to um, diminish the withdrawals I was feeling from heroin, mm -hmm. but I still had cravings. I still was in that kind of ugly space of early uh, early sobriety. And then coming here and, and starting to work on myself, um, and then that in, in combination with the kind of longer-term effects of the Ibogaine opened up new ways of thinking and feeling and possibilities mm. for me that I, I hadn't imagined when I came down here. And the, the ayahuasca in particular, I mean, that was where I really started to fly. I mean, I was having in the beginning, I was so worried that it would like throw my face in the dirt, you know, which I have to say, having done it a lot now later on at moments it did, but in the beginning, it was just like, I was feeling the potential, my own potential to like feel joy and experience mm. life in a good way. And like what I say, what they say is like, ayahuasca can show you your shadow, you know, it can show you the side of you that you don't want to see. And that could be daunting and scary. And looking back on it, like the way I look at it is that at the time, my shadow was my light, you know, it was like, I was just so self-critical and I hated myself mm. and then I took this and I was able to see the flip side of myself in a way that, I just, I just wasn't noticing it. And so that was such a relief and a boon to me in the beginning that I realized, wow, like I could live a productive and like halfway happy life without drowning myself in, in destructive mm. um, um, substances. So it had helped me like, I don't know, it just, it helped me on my path to make decisions and it helped me to experience, I guess you could say like a, a sense of like the mystical, you know, like a lot mm -hmm. of people, I came into this more like a lot of people in our culture are very analytical, very like, I don't know, trying to thinking that things were basically a reflection of how you perceive them to be. And 
I wouldn't say like ayahuasca opened up some other philosophy for me, but it did. And, it, and I mean this in the best possible way, reveal to me the depths of my own ignorance. And like, for mm. me, it was a big relief. It was like, wow, the world is just something much deeper than what I understand it to be. And it was a great Yeah, that is mystical. Yeah. Yeah. Outstanding. Well, thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That's sure. uh, remarkable. Um, and congratulations to you too for all the great work. Yeah. Four years after the seven months with the record. That's incredible. Um, so for any of you guys, you know, it's probably a, a delicate question, but you know, if, if there's anybody out there listening, who's going through the same addiction struggles, what advice would you have for them? Can you give them advice? I know we want to be careful in terms of, you know, we can't just say, Oh, go take ayahuasca, but in general, you know, in finding plant medicine or coming to plant medicine or understanding it, what, what advice would you have if somebody came up to you and said, Hey man, like, um, I'm already forgetting. Maybe it was, uh, Brian, when you said you went down to your neighbor who said, and said, Hey, you said you don't drink. How do I get there? You know, what if somebody knocked on your door, any three of you, somebody knocked on your door and said, Hey, I need to, I need to get off of this stuff. What would you guys say to him? Well, I guess I'll start. Um, I, so I, I think it depends. Um, you know, if it, if it was somebody who is, you know, it's their first attempt at re at recovery. I don't know that I would pull out the big guns, so to speak with plant mm -hmm. medicines right away. Um, you know, again, with my process, I, I feel like part of what has helped my success thus far is having that, um, we'll say background of the, the 12 step program and, kind of being immersed in that almost I'll say it's like for me at least it was almost like a first second maybe even third level recovery process where the 12 step and and that um, you know basically process really got me very very far and honestly had I made different choices like got a good psychotherapist you know three years into my recovery I may have been able to maintain recovery and not have the resurgence of these emotional energetic things that came up as panic attacks and excessive pain. So I, I think for me, my first point of contact, especially if somebody with no previous recovery experience would be to take that person to a 12 step meeting and, and get them at least introduced to what for a lot of people post plant medicines is the, the a real taproot or structure of their program. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, now if it's somebody that I know who's been around the block several times, they've tried everything else. That would be somebody where plant medicine would probably come into that discussion. But, you know, somebody who doesn't have, those experiences, I, I think the starting point, at least from my angle, would be connecting with more, uh, more of a traditional recovery process first. Okay. And it's an interesting flip on what we do at Inscape, but that's kind of my, my feeling is that, you know, I, I almost feel like, again, from my experience, if I had gotten into the plant medicine, um, you know, 
sphere of awareness earlier. It may not have had, it may have planted some really good seeds and may have been useful later, but in my evolution, it wasn't there. What was there was NAAA, you know, traditional recovery programs and figuring out how to navigate life clean and sober, still operating, you know, sober, clean and sober, but still operating with a very damaged, um, you know, we'll say operating system because Brian alluded to this earlier. I mean, you can be 10 years clean and sober. And if you haven't really dug deep into the spiritual aspect of the program and into your own traumas and things that catalyzed your addiction to start with, you're really just clean and sober and not really advancing your, your state of being. Yeah, that's a good point. That was one of my other questions is, you know, I hear when I talk to people that have, you know, overcome addiction or, or, you know, are battling addiction, I should say, one of the things I hear is there's almost always some underlying trauma, almost always, that, that kind of, they were covering it up with the, the drugs and the alcohol. And I wonder if, you know, in any of your experiences, you know, Brian with the cannabis and, and what the products you've made and you guys with ibogaine and ayahuasca, psilocybin, if, if, those, if the plant medicines helped at all to uncover that root trauma, like you were just talking about, David. Mm-hmm. And any, anybody can jump in. For, for me, no. That wasn't, to an extent, yes. But I think more of that I did in psychotherapy. And mm-hmm. actually, to a large extent, this was where 12-step um, really helped me. Dave alluded to step four, which is mm-hmm. to, what do they, what do they call it? Make a searching and fearless moral, moral inventory. Yeah. And so like that was the, and and that's, that's like the opportunity to really challenge yourself to share as honestly as you possibly can. Everything that's, that's, um, that's weighing on you as a person with another Mm -hmm. person, maybe not with the whole world, but at least with one other person. That was the first time that I unloaded things. And like, it was like, it wasn't the thing, like I said, but it was a huge step in my process. So I think by the time I got the plant medicine, certainly they uncovered certain corners of my unconscious. But in terms of the really big stuff, I think I did that principally in, in psychotherapy and a 12 step. You had already pulled it out there. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, yeah. for me. Oh, sorry, Joe. No, okay, David. Um, my early experiences with ayahuasca helped me to essentially, it it didn't necessarily uncover trauma, uh, but what it did is it made it where I no longer wore that trauma on my sleeves. And there was like kind of this Mm. reconciliation with my, my inner child, so to speak, where it was like, you know what, we're okay. Like we don't have to live in this, this fearful world. Like it, it's not really, you know, so there was just a lot of like emotional internal reconciliation that from there allowed me just to dump a lot of that baggage right then and there, where it was like when I kind of re embrace that young wounded kid and mm. was able to like accept and love, you know, that, that inner child, that in of itself I mean, that was, I think, literally the second time I ever worked with ayahuasca. 
that was for me a huge shift. I mean, there, there's other things that have gotten uh, shoved off, uh, you know, with other plant medicine work. And then honestly, a lot of it, like Joe said, has been more uh, psychotherapeutic work with no plant medicine involved at all of just really diving into that stuff and, you know, reframing it in a, in a different way where it doesn't have the, the gravity that it, it had before. Okay. Because what you guys, what I hear you guys I will, saying. I will, I will say, yeah, so Joe. I just want to just mention one thing. Yeah. That like what the plant medicine has done is it's helped me notice my, my patterns of behavior and thinking, especially the destructive ones, many of which are linked to past events, like what we're talking about. So in that sense, it's showed me like the, the, it's, it sort of helped me connect the, the dots on the, on the tapestry of my own history. Oh, beautiful. That's a great way to put that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and along those lines, you know, talking psychotherapy, the, the step four, the 12 step program, you know, a lot of other things. Um, one of you mentioned maybe you want a preliminary talk or whatnot that the quote is not just plant medicine and it sounds like there's so much involved here you know that we don't want to make it sound like oh go do a three-day ceremony and you're cured you know there's a lot that goes into this and a, and a lot of hard work and it's not just the plant medicine is that right yeah, like, um yeah, like like one of the purposes of aftercare is that like they say that ibogaine and also ayahuasca they they produce something called ne- what they call neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. where I guess the brain um, starts to um, like like loosen out of can, can loosen out of its rigid patterns a little bit and be more receptive to new lessons, new experiences, to to personal changes, and so. Like the, the, you can, you, with the medicines, you can make the, your system receptive, but then you have to still imprint it with, with new experiences, with new patterns. And so that's yeah. where the other services come into play is like combining that with psychotherapy, combining that with meditation, combining that with yoga, combining that with exercise, combining that with dietary changes, combining that with new personal patterns that combined with the power of these plant medicines can create new life imprints. Nice. Nice. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, anxiously awaiting to hear Brian chime in on on kind of these topics as well. But um, yeah, and I mean, as far as kind of what my ongoing self care plan entails, it, it's pretty much everything. Well, first of all, it's all things that I enjoy doing, and it's all tailored at maximizing that that neuroplasticity and integration of of my life experiences so things that we've all mentioned yoga creative outlets for me music was has always been a huge part of my life and that's something that my addiction always takes away from me Mm. Um, you know having creative outlets um you know therapeutic outlets uh, i would recommend anybody that is in recovery or in any kind of intensive inner work process, have a a therapist, you know, and if you're working with plant medicines, it's probably better to to trend towards a a transpersonal psychologist or somebody that at least knows the realms that you're talking about. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the the plant medicines are are a tool. And I I think that that's, 
you know, from my point of view, just like the 12 steps are a tool, plant medicines are a tool. And if you gather up enough tools, well, now you've got an arsenal of, of equipment to perform the job that you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see plant medicines as a standalone solution. I see an integration of a number of therapeutic modalities that optimized together will provide an optimal outcome. Nice. Nice. And what about uh, maintenance? I guess maintenance is the same story, right? So you have all these tools in your toolbox, all these modalities. Is there, since the show's focused on plant medicines, obviously there's ongoing 12-step meetings. There's ongoing psychotherapy there's ongoing uh, yoga, meditation, creative outlets, all this stuff. Is there any ongoing maintenance in terms of the plant medicines? Is this something you continue to do? On a, I know Brian mentioned, you know, a, a, a weekly psilocybin kind of small reset dose. Um, Joe and David, what about you guys? Is there is there a maintenance that goes on with plant medicines? Well, for me, because I, I work at Inkscape Recovery now where I went through mm -hmm. treatment, I have, you know, access to a lot of ayahuasca. So I, I participate, you know, both for personal growth and kind of as a support. Okay. Um, so, so as part of it is just, is just, I, I, and I like to do it with the clients because it's just fun to see them um, be amazed and to undergo this um, transformation. Yeah. Uh, that, that must be amazing. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. You know, it's like it's hard when people get here and sometimes they're they're cranky and detoxing and this and that, but like as as we move on and people get to the third or fourth week and they're around there, it gets it starts to get really fun. So that's so, where it's really rewarding. But for me too, like continuing to take it, it definitely as far as I can see hasn't hurt me. And even like when I feel like I've reached my max, like I I still get new new life lessons from it. That's not necessarily the best path for each person. Um, for some people, maybe plant medicines don't apply at all. And for others, you know, maybe, maybe a couple sessions in their life. Yeah. And then, you know, for people like me, it, maybe it's an ongoing thing, but. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, I like it. I mean, the ceremonies are fun. The music's great. And it's like, I don't know. It's just like, it never the guy who runs the ceremonies here call, calls it for, for himself. He's done so many. He calls it the same surprise. So like, even though, <laughs> even though he's done it that, yeah, that many times, it's like, it's so far out of the normal boundaries of your consciousness that it, it, it never fails to rarely fails to um, astonish you. Yeah. So along those lines, you know, why don't you guys tell me what, what do you do at Inscape? I mean, Joe, you kind of alluded to, you know, some of the things you're doing and helping people, but, you know, let everybody know what, what you guys do. Dave, you want to answer or you want me to? No, go ahead. What, what do we do? Um, well, we're a recovery program um, mm -hmm. about, about two hours south of, of Mexico City in a naturalistic setting in a quiet region of Mexico, mountainous region of Mexico. Um, we work, we work principally with people who have addictions, but, um, we also work with other, um, personality or personality or mental health problems. 
as well as addictions that may not pertain to substances. Hmm. Um, so it's an alternative recovery facility, I guess. So I think what makes our program differ from what you, what you call traditional rehabs, um, other than the setting, of course, is, and, and I'm speaking very generally here. Yeah. I, I don't want to put all rehabs in one category, but right, right. generally speaking, why I say we're alternative is I think that, like, as we've discussed, the, the therapeutic tools that we use, I think, are more extensive and many of those are what you might call of the alternative variety. Um, mm-hmm. And an- another thing is that like you talked about people's options in recovery. I think like a lot of facilities traditionally are based in 12 step, like, like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. And we're, we're more ideologically neutral there. Obviously some of us like me and David benefit a lot from being a 12 step, but we also don't want to, I don't know when I was in, in traditional rehab, it was kind of like, okay, here's your future. You're going to need to go to a meeting every day for the rest of your life, or you're going to relapse and probably die. You know, yeah. like that was such a depressing outlook for me that like, I was completely demotivated. And like, what we're saying is like, yes, like if 12 step attracts you by all means, attend 12 step, like there's some great tools there, but don't limit to yourself, yourself to that, like make this an exploration. And so I think like Inscape above all else is, is a, it's a chance to explore. It's a chance to explore your own person, your own potential. Uh, we give people a whole menu of activities that, that they're asked to engage with and hopefully take it with them when they go home one or two. And so it's a chance to really develop your sense of self and sense of possibilities beyond what, what uh, maybe you feel restricted to coming in. Nice. Yeah, I think, I think one thing, quick thing that is also, well, for me, it was unique when I went through the program is whereas the programs I had gone through before seemed to be very singular purposed in the, the basically the, the ideology and what the resources were, I felt like as a, a client of uh, Inscape, well, the predecessor program to Inscape, it, it really was a carte blanche type of uh, program where as I went deeper into the medicine work segment, that's really what dictated what the next realm of activities that were useful for me to be. That might sound a little a little weird, but that, that's how it worked for me. So it, I, I think that instead of having this idea of, all right, well, we're basically funneling these people as quickly as we can out the door to meetings and to get sponsors, we're really just providing a therapeutic container with activities that are designed to open the, the, the mind and, and expand the conscious awareness to then pull in the pieces that are going to be really relevant for that individual person versus, all right, our goal is to get these people to go to meetings, get them on these medications and medically stabilized and, you know, socially productive and then kick them out the door and hope that AANA works. I I feel like for us, we don't have that goal in mind. So it, it allows a much bigger scope of the, of the things that we can do and allow each individual client to do with their own process. Mm. Cause there's not this, you know, idea of, well, 
once you're done with here, like Joe said, it's AA any meetings for life or you relapse. We don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. So I feel like that gives us a lot more flexibility in the, the techniques that we use, the, the psychotherapeutic techniques, um, and the information that we provide as well. And the, I think the thing that immediately uh, is different about what we do, at least compared to any other rehab I've been to here in the U.S., is we start with a healthy foundation, which is providing a nutritious bio-regenerative diet instead of just the normal Cisco slop that everybody you know throws together, which is garbage and doesn't yeah. really help the body to to build the uh, building blocks, amino acids, et cetera, to start to repair itself. It's just adding more toxic waste to a toxic waste pile. Yeah. Excellent. Good point. That's, uh, that's really beautiful. So how, how does, how does somebody get involved with Enscape? I mean, can they just reach out to you and do it or do they have to be referred by somebody? Uh, well, they can go to our website at www.inscaperecovery.com. Um, I mean, it's obviously, there's a lot of information there. Uh, they can apply right online. Uh, we do get a number of referrals from uh, providers, Ibogaine providers that are working with somebody and either they have a condition of you need to go to aftercare afterwards or the person is already motivated to do that. So, um, there, there's several different routes into InScape. Okay. And um, I will put a link to that on the uh, the podcast. I'll also put a link to uh, Medicine Box. Um, you guys have been very generous with your time. And thank you so much. You know, and, and Kim, if you're out there listening, thank you for lassoing us all together and making this happen. It was really a uh, a pleasure to learn from you guys, to hear your stories. And I'm a, you know, I really believe that the more we all talk about these things, the more people we can help. And so uh, I'm truly grateful to you all for that. Thank you, Stuart. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Stuart. All right. Thanks guys. That concludes this edition of the stoned ape reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at stoned ape comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stone Apes.